Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, December 20th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. I'm on my own today because James saw Farinelli in The King last night, and I went to a screening of the upcoming movie musical Pitch Perfect 3, only to have them cancel 15 minutes after it was supposed to start because the studio apparently sent a corrupted video file that wouldn't open. Anyway, I will have another movie review at the end of this episode as I finally am able to discuss my feelings about The Greatest Showman, which officially opens today. And I don't know if mine are going to be in the majority or not, but I think you're going to want to hear what I have to say about this one. First up, in the feed yesterday, you likely saw a new episode of Class Notes as Lauren Class Schneider interviewed the star of Off-Broadway's Who's Holiday, Leslie Margarita. It's a really fun little conversation, so check that out anytime you can talk to Leslie Margarita. It is a good thing, trust me. Okay, on to the news. First up, yesterday, as was originally rumored in Michael Riedel's New York Post column, the latest bio-jukebox musical Summer, the Donna Summer musical, will open on Broadway this spring, ahead of the Cher show's fall revival, trying to avoid any complications from having two similarly themed and structured shows debuting on Broadway in the same season. The show will begin previews at the Lunt Fontaine on March 28th, with an official opening on April 23rd, and tickets will go on sale on January 8th of 2018. Directed by Des McEnough with choreography by Sergio Trujillo, the show features a book by McEnough, Coleman Domingo, and Robert Carey. We've discussed this so many times that I won't beat the dead horse on describing this show, but its central conceit is that there are three different actresses who play the eponymous character at different phases in her life, and that many of the male characters in the show are actually played by women. At the La Jolla Playhouse, where the out-of-town tryout is currently playing through the end of this week, Donna's played by Storm Lever, Ariana DeBose, and Tony winner LaShawns. In the release announcing the Broadway plans, no casting was confirmed, but given the short turnaround, I would be surprised if any of those three ladies does not continue with the production into New York. That being said, the show did take a bit of a pummeling from the La Jolla critics, However, Southern California audiences seemed to enjoy it as the show did extend twice, but if producers Tommy Mottola and the Dodgers want the show to have much more of an impact beyond the beloved catchy disco songs, apparently the book could use some cleaning up. Will that happen in any substantive way? Only time will tell. Moving from one show with gender-fluid casting to another, in a really, really surprising move, On Tuesday, the Broadway revival of Once on this Island announced that Tony nominee Norm Lewis and Broadway and American Idol alum Tamara Gray would be theoretically temporarily replacing two of the show's gods beginning next month. Both Merle Dandridge, who plays Papa Gee, and Quentin Earl Darrington, who plays Agwe, will be leaving the show on January 8th on what is being described as contractual leave. Dandridge will be leaving to shoot season three of her TV show Greenleaf, which is produced by Oprah Winfrey for her OWN network. Is it OWN or is it OWN? I can never remember. Anyway, it's Oprah's channel. No reason, however, has specifically been given for Darrington's, quote, contractual leave. The press release announcing the move does note, though, that both Dandridge and Darrington will be returning to the show, but it just doesn't say when. If I'm being honest, and my hesitations to believe producer Ken Davenport have not been kept a secret in the past here and in other places, 
but something just doesn't feel right here. The situation with Dandridge, I guess, makes sense. But to me, it's just surprising that she would have been cast in a Broadway musical only to have to go and film three months, not even three months, two months in. Um, you know, she is some uh, she is somewhat well-known outside of theater circles, but not enough to warrant this kind of recasting and this kind of treatment. And there being no explanation of Darrington does give off a certain great comet vibe. Now, certainly I'm not suggesting that Norm Lewis and or Tamara Gray would be the same kind of box office draw as Amanda Patinkin, but it does just seem like this couldn't have been previously planned, um, at least not to the level that they would want. Of course, OWN could have moved up the Greenleaf shooting schedule, and Darrington could have gotten a project that he had an out for in his contract. And even if something like that happened, though, this is obviously less than ideal, especially only two months into a run that you would, I guess, you would hope would get some sort of Tony consideration. So having to replace cast members already seems like it'll be an issue. Not to mention the fact that the show has already announced that it will be recording a cast album. Will Darrington and Dandridge be on that cast album? Or will their other commitments preclude them from being a part of the recording? Either way, I, I love Norm, and if I were in town, this would certainly inspire me to buy another ticket to the show. So hopefully, whether ticket sales were the impetus for this move or not, hopefully this show, which really deserves to be seen for as long and by as many people as possible, gets a boost one way or the other. Speaking of casting announcements that got me really excited, if not quite a bit surprised, yesterday NBC announced that Springfield, Ohio's own John Roger Stevens, better known as Oscar, Grammy, and Tony winner John Legend, would be playing the title role in this Easter's live broadcast of Jesus Christ Superstar. We also learned that the show will be broadcast in front of a live, quote, large audience at the Marcy Armory in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and will be dubbed, quote, Jesus Christ Superstar Live in concert, exclamation point. Now, the fact that this is being billed as a concert really shouldn't surprise anyone. I didn't think they were going to go this route, but it, I should have guessed that they were, because this is kind of how the show's been done a lot in commercial productions around the world recently, most notably with the famed UK Arena Tour. Yes, it was it had staging, but it was still much more of a concert than what we originally saw on Broadway or in the movie. So I would imagine that it will be something similar to that. I can't imagine it will be people stepping up and singing in front of a mic with books or anything like that. Especially with the background of director David Laveau, who has a history of mounting complicated, creative, emotionally deep musicals. Um, so I would expect that there would still be plenty of drama and stagecraft to this, even if it is billed as a concert. Legend, of course, has 10 Grammys over the course of his career, as well as an Oscar for Best Original Song for the film Selma, along with Common, and he won a Tony as a producer for this year's Broadway revival of Jitney. I, I know that I said this maybe even on here, if not on Twitter, as soon as it was announced, but I still would love to see Adam Lambert as Judas, and I think having Lambert and Legend going back and forth would just be perfect. Clearly, John Legend does not have the traditional rocker tenor voice that we're used to seeing in this role of Jesus. However, I can really already kind of hear the smooth, silky uh, rendition that he's going to put on some of these songs, especially something I like Gethsemane. Um, so I'm very excited about this. If for nothing else, 
I really want to see Chrissy Teigen's uh, behind-the-scenes social media postings. But anyway, I also think that we can just say good on Neil Marin, Craig Zidane, Andrew Lloyd Webber, and Tim Rice for casting a person of color as Jesus. You know, a lot of times the role of Judas is cast by a person of color, and that's awesome that they did that, especially dating back as long as that's been a tradition in this role. But to kind of flip that, I think is really awesome and, and, and still a little bit progressive, so I applaud them. Um, I would expect Judas, Mary Magdalene, please don't let it be Nicole Scherzinger, and some of the other characters to be announced fairly soon. I think some of them that are smaller, they can wait a little bit a little bit longer. Um, but I don't know that they'll come out during the holidays, but if not, I think shortly into the new year, we will still get some pretty big names to come down the pike for this one. Going from wishes to rumors, I want to talk about the story, and I really, really wish that the rumor is true, uh, because earlier this week on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, legendary singer and songwriter Randy Newman let slip that there were early rumblings that the film Three Amigos could be turned into a musical. Newman wrote the iconic comedy with SNL producer Lorne Michaels and one of the film's stars, Steve Martin, co-starring obviously Steve Martin, as well as Martin Short and Chevy Chase. The film tells the story of three silent film stars who are mistaken for real heroes by the suffering people of a small Mexican village who hired the actors to come and defeat the evil El Guapo and his men. It's perfect. It's so good. Um, Since the Amigos were vaudevillian performers, Newman wrote a number of songs for the film, and they're great, um, including the hilarious My Little Buttercup, um, it, one of my favorite scenes of all time. Um, this movie is one of my favorite comedies of all time, and it's been way too long since I've watched it, so I need to go back and watch it soon, maybe over the holidays. But given that Martin currently has his second show on Broadway right now, I am all in for Three Amigos being his third show. Okay, before I get to my greatest showman review, here is a pair of recommendations for you. First, Broadway alums Anna Kendrick and Darlene Love joined the Legendary Roots crew and Jimmy Fallon for a performance of Love's iconic Christmas classic, Christmas Baby Please Come Home. And they did this on classroom instruments. I love it when they do this. You all know my love for Anna Kendrick, so you know that I'm going to love this anyway. But the real reason that this is special to me is that because it was an annual tradition for like two decades for Love to sing this very song on David Letterman's Late Show, which to me still is the gold standard as far as I'm concerned in terms of comedy on Late Night. So to have her continue that tradition with Fallon was really, really cool. And my other recommendation dovetails really nicely into The Greatest Showman because my Broadway World colleague Katie Lynch did some interviews with the stars of the show, Hugh Jackman, um, Kiala Settle, Zac Efron, Zendaya, and uh, the writers uh, of the score, Pask and Paul. Um, the, the interviews are great, and, and I'm going to put those in the show notes, so check those out. really gives you a, a good insight into the movie itself. Okay, now here's the review. I've been sitting on this for a long time. And I don't know how the reviews are going to be for this film. I'm, I'm in fact, I'm pretty confident that they're not going to be great. And here's the reason why. I love Pask and Paul, but this score is not great. It's not very good. There are a few exceptions, but overall, it's fairly monotonous, standard, pop, unmemorable stuff. The film itself follows very familiar, well-worn plot cliches and tropes, nothing that we haven't seen before. However, all that being said, I absolutely adore this movie 
and openly wept in the theater three, four, maybe five times. The transcendent power of The Greatest Showman comes not from the story of P.T. Barnum and how he became the world's biggest showman and entertainer. Instead, it comes from the people that he employed in his circus, the so-called freaks and some of the other performers. The fact that we see this group of people who has lived their entire lives purposely trying to keep their heads down and not be seen come together and band together to have their voices heard and to have their faces disfigured or whatever they are be seen by the masses is incredibly powerful in today's day and age. Another really important part of this movie is the star-crossed love affair between Zac Efron's character and Zendaya's character. Zendaya, if you aren't familiar with her, is an African-American actress and she plays the trapeze artist Anne. Efron plays a well-to-do playwright who becomes Barnum's business partner and these two fall in love and again we know the story of star-crossed lovers who are prevented from being together because of race or socioeconomic factors but the presentation of this story the acting and the truth and the nuance that zendaya and efron put into it really kind of elevates it it also helps that they have a great number specifically about this in which they fly through the air with the greatest of ease on a trapeze which is a really great moment But there's just something about the relevancy that those two stories of the freaks and these star-crossed lovers has on today's society that seems so much more impactful than the actual story they're trying to tell because we've heard it so often. Ultimately, The Greatest Showman thrives on the infectiousness of its heart and its energy. And like its freaks, the film is far more than the sum of its individual parts. And because of that, it becomes an incredible testament to the strength found when people who have been shamed into silence finally find their voice and band together. I highly recommend this. Is it going to be the next great movie musical? Probably not. Is it something that could be adapted to the stage? Maybe. Should it be? Probably not. But I can tell you now that this is a a movie musical that I will watch multiple times And that's not something I do very often. So I recommend it over the holidays. Take your uh, family. And also a nice little thing too. Um, I don't know how many non-theater centric critics will notice. But Tony winner Shuler Hensley has a nice cameo at the end of the film. If you aren't familiar, uh, Shuler Hensley starred opposite Hugh Jackman in the West End production of Oklahoma. And they've been friends ever since and worked together on things ever since, including the movie Van Helsing. This Oklahoma production came before Hugh Jackman was ever cast as Wolverine in the X-Men franchise. In fact, Hugh Jackman tells a great story about going to the audition in London with his perm to play Curly, and he thought that in and of itself would disqualify him from getting the role. Fast forward a couple decades later, and clearly he's one of the biggest stars in the world. But it was nice to see Shuler Hensley along with Eric Anderson, Will Swenson, obviously the phenomenal Kiala Settle, who is just otherworldly brilliant in a breathtaking breakthrough role. Um, There's a lot of Broadway fingerprints on this. And, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. So let me know uh, on Twitter at BWWMATT what you think of the film. I'm interested to hear because, like I said, I think I might be in the minority on this. But I really, really loved The Greatest Showman. Okay, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWMATT. And subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. James and I will be back 
to talk to you tomorrow. So until then, have a great Wednesday. 